Hi, and welcome to the FVCC Nature Journal, the podcast for everyone who loves nature. We are coming to you from the beautiful campus of Flathead Valley Community College at the foot of the Swan Mountain Range of Northwest Montana. I'm John Fraley, longtime instructor in wildlife conservation here at the college, and I also served 40 years with Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. In the Nature Journal, we focus on the critters and quirks of nature found on the campus, the wide surrounding Flathead Basin, and all across Montana. Our producer is Colin Burkhart. He'll be joining us today. And thanks to Morgan Ray, the library director, for offering the library as our podcast home. Well, today we're going to get a little bit spooky, and we're going to talk about bats. And all of us have had some experience with bats. So you may not have heard that, but if they got into your house at one point or your attic, you might have heard them chirping like that. I have, definitely, and I'll be telling a story about it. So in Montana, we have 15 species of bats. The smallest one is the Western Small-Footed Myotis. Isn't that a great name? Yeah, how how small is that? Five grams. So that's the weight of five little sugar packets. (laughs) So it is tiny. And then our biggest one is the hoary bat, which is 25 grams, which isn't very big either. I I heard that uh, some bats can have a wingspan of like five or six feet. Yeah, we're going to get into that. That's scary, man. (laughs) That's really scary. If you thought you were scared about bats, wait till you hear about that one. So they have their forelimbs adapted as wings, and they're, they're the only mammals capable of true flight and sustained flight. Now, we've talked about flying squirrels, and I've seen them, mm. and they launch themselves out of a tree, and they'll glide along and then land in another tree, but they don't have true flight. Have you ever seen a flying squirrel? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen one in person, but I've seen how they manage their, their flight. It's more like they sort of glide, like a, like a hang glider almost. Exactly, exactly. So, but bass, as a mammal, actually are capable of true and sustained flight with those, those limbs that they have in, the, in the, uh, the, the flight-promoting membranes that they have on their limbs. They're, they're more maneuverable, believe it or not, than most birds. And they fly with the very long, spread-out digits covered with a thin membrane or patagium. So think of yourself and open up your hands and think of membranes all between your, your, mm. ar- your arms and your chest, and you have this almost like a glider but they're actually moving their, their limbs and flapping like a bird. So that, those little bony digits are what actually allow them to have the control they need in the air? That's right. And they form wings, really, from a, a membrane that's over those, and it's called a patagium. More efficient than feathers? Well, I don't know. For birds? They're actually better fly, flyers than many birds. And they can, mm. you know, you've seen them at night. Oh, my yeah. gosh, they really are adept flyers. So they're insectivores, generally. They eat insects, or they can eat fruit, and vampire bats do actually feed on blood. So that's the, mm. the different diets they have. And the smallest bat, and arguably the smallest extent mammal in the world, is the kitty hog-nosed bat. And that oh, one's wow. just over an inch long. So that's even smaller <laughs> than the one in Montana. And then, as you mentioned, the largest is the giant golden-crowned flying fox, reaching oh, a weight of three-plus pounds and having a wingspan of five feet. I don't want to be anywhere near the giant golden ground flying <laughs> fox. <laughs> don't want to be anywhere near it, man. It just sounds way scary. Can I mean, you imagine a bat that big? If a bat gets the name flying fox, if it's big enough to look like a fox yeah. that can fly, that must be pretty <laughs> scary. And three pounds, that's a lot of weight. It's amazing they can keep themselves up off the ground. It's just incredible. I, I don't know how common they were, they are, or, or those what. Those aren't but... the ones that drink blood, are they? <laughs> no, that would be a terrible combination, oh, wouldn't no. it? <laughs> So most bats are nocturnal, and that means, you know, they're out at night or early in the morning and late in the evening. And many roost in caves or other refuges, but uh, 
It's uncertain whether the bats have these behaviors to escape predators or they're just a launching point for hmm. getting insects. I'm not quite sure. But I have an experience with this that I wanted to mention. We were hiking in. We hiked and took horses into Basin Cabin, way into the Bob Marshall Wilderness. So when we got to the cabin, we spread all our stuff out, and I decided I would sleep out on the, the porch, which is overhung, <laughs> by a, <laughs> overhung by some boards. Oh, gosh. And so I had my sleeping bag out there on a sort of a bench, and I was laying there. And that, as soon as it started getting dark, I heard this, you know, that bat sound again. And... I looked up, and there was bats that were hanging out in the lodgepole pine trees above the cabin. And they were acting like they didn't like me being on the porch. I think what's happening was they usually are used to roosting in that, uh, underneath that porch there. And then they looked down, and they saw me laying there with my sleeping bag, and they didn't like it. And they were making all these noises. And then they started die-bombing me. I thought, now, I never have liked bats very much, I will admit. But... This really made me dislike bats when they started doing that. And is that cabin usually left empty? Is that why they probably roost there so often? You know, there's not many people that come through that backcountry cabin. Occasionally mm-hmm. they do, but, you know, they have it pretty much all to themselves. So I'm just assuming, as, right, you, right. as you said, that they, they weren't used to somebody sleeping on there. But it was a little scary, I thought. Oh, yeah. And the sounds were kind of a little threatening, actually. <laughs> so bats do have some good qualities, though. They're present throughout the world. They're important in their particular ecosystem for Believe it or not, pollinating flowers and dispersing seeds. They are very important for pollinating flowers, which I didn't really know. Mm-hmm. And bat dung has been mined as guano from caves and used as fertilizer. Boy, I wouldn't want that job. <laughs> oh, <laughs> would no. not want that job. And the thing about caves is, you know, right now there's a lot of restrictions about going into caves because of bats possibly oh, yeah. contracting that white-nosed fungus that oh. can be maybe brought really? in by humans. So. There's some big caves in the Bob, but you're not allowed to go in them at this point right now. Oh, yeah. I've heard a lot of rumors about all the sorts of the stuff that bats can have, diseases like rabies and everything, stuff that we don't even know about yet. Right. Yeah, they definitely can uh, spread rabies, and people have gotten them tested after they end up in their attics, and they Mm -hmm. try to get them out, and they might get scratched or something, or their cat gets bit by them. You have to get them checked for rabies. So they're important for their own particular ecosystem, and more important than we think overall as far as how many insects they kill. Bats consume insect pests in the U.S., saving anywhere, believe it or not, from $3.7 billion to $53 billion per year in pesticides and damage to crops. And then you don't have to put pesticides out there. You have the bats. You know, you think, what's good's a bat? Well, usually when you start looking at any animal, it has a purpose. And mm-hmm. bats are very big insectivores. So does that surprise you? Uh, no, actually. I mean, I was I, I had known bats were very commonly after insects. I right. just didn't know that that saved so much on how many insects they actually get. Well, supposedly, they, they prevent that much from having to be killed with insecticides. Wow. And, you know, they also have the ability to radiolocate. They can... Mm-hmm. Echolocation? Yeah, echolocation. They can... They can Avoid objects and stuff while they're flying. If you watch a bat fly, you just can't believe how fast they fly. So that actually does bring me to a a good point. Uh, One of the myths about bats is that they are blind. You hear the phrase, blind as a bat. But that isn't entirely true, is it? No, bats, if you look at a bat, just go on the internet and look at any picture of a bat, they've got eyes that function and so on. That's not their best... They, best, did, uh, they do have eyesight. It's just not very yeah. good. It's just not their best <laughs> way of sensing the world. They, you know, they, the, the radiolocation and the just the general feel, and, and they have a great sense of smell as well. But if you look at them, you can see they have definitely have eyes. But, but obviously, you know, they come out from where they roost at night, and they fly around. So they've got some way of maneuvering at those high speeds 
in the dark. And it's pretty incredible when you watch them go. And you can't believe they, that they can not run into something. And so one of the most famous places that people watch bats is the Congress Avenue Bridge in Austin, Texas. I've been in Austin, Texas before, but I, I didn't know about this, or I would have probably tried to check it out. And it's the summer home to North America's largest urban bat colony. There's an estimated 1.5 million of them there that wow. live under that bridge. And they're, they're Mexican free-tailed bats. And these Mexican free-tailed bats can fly, are you ready for this, 100 miles an hour. <laughs> 100 You're miles kidding. an hour, no. And you wonder, how could they avoid banging into things, you know? Yeah, they, that must be, it must be very precise with that uh, location then. Incredible. And they must have their senses, you know, their cell signaling within their metabolism must be so fast to be able to send those signals from the bat's echolocation to its muscle movement. <laughs> it's just incredible to think about. Believe it or not, in general, on an average year, about 100,000 tourists come to watch them come out from under that bridge in the, yeah. in the, when it starts getting dark. It must be an incredible sight to see a million bats come funneling out of there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've heard of bird watchers before, but never <laughs> bat watchers. That's right. Good point. These are bat watchers. <laughs> I, I don't think I'd want to be really anywhere near it when they start coming out. Because think of oh, 100,000 yeah. bats and, or 1.5 so million bats you know, in the air at the same time, and you're not far away from them. I mean, accidents can happen, you know. And you hear, you know, you talked about the, the different things that are associated with bats and people mm. worry about them getting in their hair, like ladies that have longer hair, oh, yeah. that kind of thing. It, it has happened, but, and they may be symbolically associated with rebirth in some cultures, especially China, mm. or long life. But in the West, bats are properly associated with darkness and malevolence and witchcraft. <laughs> it can spread diseases like rabies. I mean, when you think of a bat, just let me ask you this. When you think of a bat, what do you think of? Oh, yeah. I definitely think of darkness. They have a very bad connotation to them, I think. Mm -hmm. And I could almost see like someone it, from a non-scientific standpoint, like in, I don't know, a, a medieval time period where mm -hmm. you get bit by a, a bat and you contracted a disease and you think it's given you some sort of like witch's curse or something. Right. <laughs> yeah, rabies is very, very uh, serious. And, you know, in Tanzania, there's a, a legend of a winged bat-like creature known as a papabawa. And it's believed mm -hmm. to be a shape-shifting evil spirit called. So, in other words, yeah. you can shift its shapes into different things. Kind of like the traditional uh, vampire of European myth where they could sort of turn into bats. That's exactly right. And, and you know, you mentioned that, and the question comes up, do bats bite people? Yes, they do. Mm -hmm. Some of it's inadvertent, but in one period in Brazil... 40 people were bitten by vampire bats in a, in a certain period when there was a migration of them. One of those persons died from rabies, and they all were injured, you know. And so when you think about that, there's really, you know, you think, oh, vampire bats are not real. Yeah, they really are. Uh, the one question I would have is that, uh, so why do these bats survive on blood rather than insects? Is it like, is it like how mosquitoes need blood, or is that a different thing entirely? That's different. Um, these, these vampire bats actually feed on the blood. They are, they are, they're considered carnivores mm -hmm. because they lap up that blood. And the people that were injured that time, in, uh, actually what happened is at night they would come and they'd, they'd land on them when they were asleep and they'd cut, they'd cut with their teeth and then they'd, they'd lap up the blood. Oh, boy, <laughs> it kills me just thinking about it. But anyway, there was a, just to wrap it up here, there was a book when Dracula was yeah. written in the 1890s that depicted vampires shape-shifting into bats. Yes. And a lot of it's come from that, I think. The popular fiction of yep. uh, Bram Stoker. <laughs> and it's also believed that witches worshipped horned figures with wings, possibly mm -hmm. bats, hard to say. 
And furthermore, it said that witches use bat blood in their flying concoctions. <laughs> so we don't know about any of that. But point is, it's a Halloween time. We're having fun with it. But bats can be a very useful animal with mm-hmm. the getting rid of insects, and they can be a little scary as well. That's all the time we have for this episode of The Nature Journal. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fraley, and I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.